0: You guys got me concerned. He asked if you like this series, and I feel like I got a golf clap out of that, so I'm not sure what to think. We haven't even gotten to the juicy stuff yet either of 1 Timothy, but oh wait, uh, it's coming. Um, so glad you're here. If, if you're a guest, thank you for being here. If you've got a Bible open to First Timothy chapter 2, we'll be there in just a minute. Uh, I love every week getting to share our, our mission statement, what we believe God is calling us to. Um, I, I'm constantly, as a leader of the church, and with other leaders, challenged me, how are we doing with that? Are we making progress? When people come and see, do they see that in action? Can they clearly go, oh, yeah, I can m- connect these dots? And I know we have a long ways to go, but I'm excited of where we're trying to go, and hopefully we're making tangible steps in that direction. All right, I bring that up because as part of kind of teeing up for today, I begin to think about other company's mission statements, and I was like, well, I'm curious what some of theirs are, and when you, when you match up what they say they want to do versus what they're actually doing, w- what does it look like? So I just want to read some off, and I want to see if you can tell me what company this is. These are a popular companies, so it's not like some bait switch. But I'm going to read their mission statement, and just real quick, you don't have to yell out but just if you think you know it, you can answer it. Uh, here's one company's mission statement. To give people the power to build community so that we can bring the world closer together. Think for a second. Do you know what company that is? The answer is Facebook. Facebook. Read again. To give people the power to build community so that we can bring the world closer together. So just think about that statement. Uh, what Facebook is doing? Does it seem like they're accomplishing that? Here's another one. Uh, with every cup, with every conversation, with every community, we nurture the limitless possibilities of human connection. Sorry. You, you drink there like every week. Do you memorize that? You got it tattooed on your body somewhere, don't you, Josiah? Yes, it is Starbucks. Now the question is how, how are they doing? I started thinking about that. I'm like, well, you know, I mean, if I go meet someone, it's like, let's go to Starbucks. I guess, you know, I don't know. Here's another one To be America's best quick serve restaurant at winning and keeping customers. No, it's my pleasure. It's Chick fil A. Chick fil A. Okay, you can kind of see a little bit. See a little bit. Here's another one: to entertain, inform, and inspire people around the globe through the power of unparalleled storytelling. (laughs) (laughs) Said no one. Um, Thank you, Josiah. You do not get raises for sucking up during service. In case one, the answer is Disney. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I don't know how I feel about that. I don't even know if we should continue right now, to be honest. The last one, uh, to refresh the world and inspire moments of optimism. To refresh the world and inspire moments of optimism. The answer is Coca-Cola. Uh, Coca-Cola is terrible. It does not bring any optimism when I drink that stuff. So I don't know what they're talking about. I read through some of those and it makes you wonder what they want to do versus what they're actually doing. What they, what they hope to accomplish versus what they're doing. How, how do those things line up? Because here's the thing, how, how, we about going, how we go about doing it is as important as what we are wanting to do and accomplish, right? We say this is our mission, this is our direction, this is our, our desire. What, what we do to get there is, is just as important in, in that sort of thing. I bring that up because we've been going through Timothy, we're continuing to go through the whole book of 1 Timothy, uh, and so uh, hopefully you're enjoying that because we've still got a long ways to go, but we've been talking about upon this rock. And Paul's been writing his letter to Timothy a young pastor at a church of Ephesus uh, who's struggling. And and he's, I mean, what we can gather wants to quit. And Paul's encouraging him. And and in the first few chapters, he's given him a guidance saying, hey, listen, I don't want you to give up, but let me just give you some guidance. When it comes to church, make sure these things are foundationally there. Don't don't miss this. Like, build this into your repertoire. This is so important. Keep the main thing the main thing. And he's walked through some of those things. And so chapter 1, which we just got done doing, he, he more or less, in, in a nutshell, pr- provides a gospel foundation. We, we need to provide a gospel foundation in the church. That, that needs to be the foundation of what we do. He talks about guarding the gospel. He talks about celebrating, displaying the gospel. He talks about fighting for the gospel. In other words, that's fulfilling our mission and calling in the gospel work. People need to do it. So, so he, he ultimately, in some way, in the pr- first part, provides the mission. Here, here's the mission of the church. In chapter two, and I'm telling you this because you need to follow the train of thought and how the letter's going. In chapter two, he starts to now say, This is now what you need to do to accomplish that. Here's the practical steps moving in the direction. And I'm just going to tell you this if you don't get that and understand the follow through of what Paul's trying to get at, there's details that will lose you real quickly, and you'll, you'll see what I'm talking about when we read, read the text. Um, so it's a practical follow-through. So if you, if you have First Timothy chapter 2, we're going to read all of chapter 2, but only unpack some of it. Um, so follow along with me. Paul says this. First of all, then I urge the petitions of prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for everyone. For kings and all those who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. Like, this is good, and it pleases God our Savior who wants, like, everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For for there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, a testimony at the proper time. For this, uh, I was appointed a herald and apostle, and I'm, I'm telling the truth, I'm not lying, and a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Therefore, I want the men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or argument. Also, the women are to dress themselves in modest clothing, with decency and good sense, not with elaborate hairstyles, gold pearls, or expensive apparel, but with good works as is proper for the woman who professes to worship God. A woman is to learn quietly with full submission. I do not allow a woman to teach or have authority over a man. Instead, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and transgressed. But she will be saved through childbearing, and if they continue in faith and love and holiness, uh, with good sense. Yowzers. Um, okay. So Paul, Paul's changing courses a little bit here and talking about more practical sort of stuff. And uh, yeah, you can see how easily we can get distracted from some of it and lose the sight of the, the narrative that Paul's going at. Um, and so we're going to look at verse 1 through 7 and look at Paul's talking about prayer. Next week we will come, so come ready, verse 8 through 15. Uh, Josiah seems to be chomping at the bit to talk, so he's going to be bringing the message next week on verses 8 through 15. Can't wait to hear it. No, i was kidding. Uh, no, in all seriousness, I'm looking forward to covering these texts. Uh, they are The 8 verse 15, I'll be honest, is, is highly controversial. People are very divided on that, and we're going to do the best we can talk about it. And so I don't expect you to agree with what we talk about, but I expect you to wrestle with God's word. And so I ask that you come with that mindset. But I, but I want to go with verse 1 through 7. I don't want us to lose sight of the train of Paul's letters, what he's getting at. And he's talking about prayer. Like, where do we start? We start with prayer is kind of where he's getting at. And, and the, the, the weird thing, I, I'm not liking God's timing. I'm not going to lie to you. We had this plan a long time ago, and God's focus is on prayer. And I'll tell you what, we, we spent uh, time this morning as a church, some of us, in here praying because it has been a season. Uh, th- things, I'll say this, in- inside the church, things are going well. God has blessed the church. And sometimes when we can't get attacked inside the church, he starts attacking our personal out- lives outside the church because you've got to take care of what's home first. And it's amazing what has come up just in this week uh, of what's going on. And so I'm ready to preach on prosperity and, and receiving lots of money from the Lord so that maybe that might come true. I'm kidding. I'm, I'm just saying it's a very interesting time where all this lies. He talks about prayer. And I think verse 1 through 8, or 1 through 7, I can summarize this. I, th- I think he's telling us this. Uh, now that we have the foundation, what do we do? We, we should pray for the salvation of the lost. That's what the church should be doing. And so he starts with prayer, and my question goes, well, why prayer? He says, first of all, then, first of all, then I urge the petitions, prayer, intercessions, and thanksgiving, thanksgivings be made for everyone. And I just go, like, Paul, like, why prayer? There's a lot of things I'd want to start with, but why do you want us to well, he makes clear just in his very first statement, prayer is of the most, uh, utmost importance. It's the first step. It's the most important first step. He uses the word first of all. That word literally means of first importance. Paul's like, before you do anything when it comes to, to tackling this foundation, to accomplishing this mission, I'm telling you to do, you, you need to pray. You, you need to pray. And, and a lot of us, let's be honest with ourselves, as Christians, as people in general, we kind of go, yeah, yeah, okay. Okay, yeah, I got that. Now what? We just kind of check, let's move on, let's go to the battleground, start doing stuff. And Paul's like, I need you to stop, and I need you to just pray. Why should we pray? But why would Paul say this? Because when it comes to salvation of people, salvation entails three factors. Number one, the the work of God. Obviously, God has done all the work of salvation, of saving us, but, but even in drawing people, God continues to do work in that. Like God has revealed himself in creation. There's called general revelation where the Bible tells us when we look around, there are aspects we see in the world that tells us there's something more, tells us of God. There's this inward groaning that says, man, I just believe there's something more. You see Psalms talk about it. Romans chapter 1 talks about that God's general revelation is seen by all mankind that people are without excuse. And so God is drawing to people himself that way. But, But not just that. In specific revelation, God reveals to us and begins drawing our hearts. If you've been saved, you have a time in your life where you said, man, there was just something about that day that it clicked. Something drew me. Something in me pulled me into God. And it's God drawing us to himself. The Bible clearly talks about that sort of thing. God draws us, and there's a work God does in our salvation. There's also the second part when it comes to salvation, the response of man. We we can't make the decision for other people. They have to make their own decision. It's called free will, and God gives every person it. They have to respond when you pray, man. God, I pray that they would listen. I pray they respond. I pray that when you draw, man, their heart would be turned. But there's a third factor that comes in. It's the work of the church. The church has a job to do. Now some say, well, do we? Someone you're saying someone can't get saved without the church? Yes and no. I mean, I've heard of people who, uh, obviously, God has called them, and, and man, they had this divine revelation. They see God. I've heard people pick up the Bible on their own, but 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 how did how did we get this from the work of predecessors of church in the past? There, there's work of the church today. Well, like, don't don't miss this. Like, the Bible makes it clear. Like, how, how are people supposed to hear the message if we don't tell them? How, how's it going to happen? And the thing is, we need to be coming to God and praying that all those things work together and begin to line up so that God can use it. We don't know whenever God is drawing in their heart and when they're starting to see and understand it, it's beginning to click. We, we don't know when they're ready to respond, and we don't know what it is. So what do we do? We need to be faithful time and time again, taking every opportunity we can, saying, God, today might be the day. Today might be the day. It feels exhaustive sometimes to get in front of the church and go, man, I think today someone might get saved. The truth is today could be the day someone gets saved. And we got to continue to be faithful and pray that God makes those things line up. And in other words, we, we need to pray like it matters. We need to come and say, man, I believe, God, I'm praying today for salvation because I believe you and you alone, I believe today's the day someone can get saved. So, so how often do we honestly do that? When it comes to loved ones, when it comes to friends, when it comes to other people, do we seriously go, I, I need to pray for them? Not, not just tacking on the Mentos prayer and say, I've done it, but seriously pray that, man, today would they get saved. I want to see them get saved. And so he tells us why we pray, but then he continues on and tells us, well, how do we pray? So he says, first of all, I, then I, pray, I ask you to pray with petitions, prayer, intercessions, and thanksgiving. I'm not going to break down those four. I, I, I'll say, in essence, what Paul's saying is every type of prayer you can pray, pray. Pray e- every time. Pray on their behalf, pray for Thanksgiving, pray that God would intervene, pray that, that, that something would happen. Every type of prayer you can pray. But more importantly, Paul tells us who to pray for. What does he say? He says, I urge that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for who? For everyone. But Paul's telling us we need to be praying for everyone. In other words, we need to pray without prejudice or favoritism. There's not a person in our life that we should not be going, man, am I praying. Do we have a heart for the world to come to salvation, or do we just focus on our immediate people? You see, some of you, I say right there, have you prayed for those who are around you who are lost? And you probably say, yes. And who, who does your mind immediately go to? Man, your family, your friends, and people close in your life. That's great, but, but who have you prayed beyond that? Paul's saying, everyone we need to pray for. And why, why do we do that? Because we need to assume the same thing that God does, which it says in verse four that once God wants everyone to be saved. Do you have that same kind of attitude? Do you have a hunger for the world that everyone would come to salvation? He, he says not only that; and he keeps going. He says, "Pray pray for those in authority." He says, "For the kings and all those who are in authority." Now, now it's interesting. Why does he say this? I think Paul says, "Pray for everyone." Man, you covered your bases. You don't need to go more in depth. Paul goes then, I think, to the next thing to say, you want to know who's the most difficult people to pray for? The people you hate the most. In that time, it was kings and authorities for them. Think about us today. How hard would this be for us today to honestly go, man, I really pray for President Biden right now. I really pray for Trump back when he was president. I earnestly pray for his salvation, man, that God would get a hold of him and get his attention. I think the thing he's getting at this is the main point, is we need to pray Without bias or ill intent. And if we're honest with ourselves, we, we will pray to God. But when it's someone that we don't like, or someone that has made our life difficult, we're, we're not honestly praying on their behalf. We're praying with ill intent. God, God smite them. I remember years back I had a, a friend of mine who was not happy with the president who was in office. I remember talking to them, and they go, man, I just pray sometimes God would just wipe them out so that our country could move on. I kind of laugh. I go, wait, you're, you're serious? No, seriously. I prayed, God, would you, would you just take them out so our country would be better? I'm thinking, that's messed up. I began to criticize him, but then I did think of myself. I remember when Kevin Durant left the Thunder and how angry I was, and I said, you know what, God, I hope he breaks an ankle and never plays again so he can show, don't do that to us, bro. How, how tacky is that? It's ill intent. It's not honest. It's not as gone. But Paul says this, and you sit here and go, Well, Paul, you don't know my situation. Man, if you knew our country, who's leading us right now, you know who's in my life. Do you know who Paul's referring to right here? The, the emperor, the leader in this time was a guy named Nero. There's no one who has crucified and persecuted the church more than this guy literally killed Christians upon the thousands. He, he used to, it's documented well-known that he would take Christians, impale them on spikes and then have dinner parties and light them on fire to provide light to his dinner parties. Imagine walking into a dinner party and seeing people on fire that bring the light to the party. That's who Paul's saying pray for. It'd be almost equivalent to looking at a Jewish person during World War II and say, hey, pray for Hitler. And they go, are you kidding me? Pray for that guy? Or are you kidding me? But Paul's saying we need to have such a love for all people, understanding that everyone needs salvation. I need to be praying for everyone. Even, especially, I say this, the people in my life that's hard to love. The people I just can't stand. I pray for them. Can I tell you a truth that I've seen... More so in other people's life who have been a great witness to me than I model myself. It's hard to hate someone when you're honestly praying for them. There's someone who's wounded you and hurt you and taken away something that's valuable to you. And you begin to seriously pray God, save them. There, there, there's something that y- you can't honestly pray for that and hate them at the same time. See, see, Paul's trying to get us to realize that salvation for all mankind should be our desire. And, and the problem for some of us, we, we, we get tunnel vision and we get stuck on just the people we care about. I, I want my posse in heaven. I want my family, my comforts, the people I I want my church. And, and we miss the calling of the church to be globally minded the entire world. I was reading one of my commentaries, and they had a quote from a guy named John Stott, who's a longtime pastor at a church in London called All Souls. And, and, and John Stott said this, and I just want you to try to listen closely as I say this. He, he was talking about his experience when he got to go visit another church. He said, some years ago, I attended public worship in a certain church, and the pastor was absent on holiday, and a, a lay elder stood up and led the pastoral prayer during service. He prayed that the pastor might enjoy a good vacation, which, which was fine, he said. And that two lady members of the congregation might be healed, which was also fine. We should pray for the sick. He said, but that was all. He prayed for those things, and he was done, and the intercession was done. He said, the intercession could hardly have lasted 30 seconds. And he said, I came away saddened, sensing that this church worshipped a village god of their own design. That there was not a recognition of the needs of the world, and not an attempt to embrace the world in prayer. That they were so stuck on our little kingdom that we miss the bigger thing, that we're called to win the world. Man, it, it should burn our hearts for the missionaries across the world who are trying to save people. And, and I'm, I'm going to be honest in full confession, I often don't give them a second thought. I'm convicted by this because, man, I don't lead this well. And Paul's like, listen, if we're, if we're going to accomplish this mission, we're, we're going to do it, right? We, ha- we have to bask in prayer. Like, God, use us. Do Do something. I want to see them saved. Paul Paul continues to not just tell us who to pray for. He tells us what to pray for. Look at the second part of verse 2. He says, for kings and all those who are in authority. And then he says this, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. Man, if you ever want to take a passage out of context and put it on a wall and feel good about yourself, that's the one right there. Is what is Paul saying, man? He wants us to live comfortable lives. Right there, he wants us to live tranquil, quiet lives. Amen, man. Give me that, bro. I want that. The problem is that that's not what Paul's saying, and it's not what Scripture says. I would tell you this. That, that right there mindset is God wants me to live a comfortable, middle-class life contradicts the very word of God and Jesus Christ himself. Jesus would tell us in John chapter 16, verse 33, he says this. He says, I've told you these things about all the difficulties coming, so that you may have peace. He says, you will have suffering in this world, but be courageous, because I've conquered the world. He he tells us that those who follow him are gonna have to what? Take up their crosses daily and follow him. That, that's not a comfortable thing. That's not a lazy boy you're sitting on right there. That is extreme discomfort. James, Jesus' own brother, who was one of the early leaders of the church, said this in the very beginning of his letter in James 1, verse 2. Consider it great joy, my brothers and sisters. Now, don't miss this part. Whenever you experience various trials. Not not if, but but when. Paul's not talking about us living a comfortable life here. Paul's talking over here about prayer for us that we would, uh, for peace, so the church would flourish under the rule of those around us, those in our community. Specifically, in Paul's time right here, they have what's called the Pax Romana, which means peace of Rome. And the peace of Rome was a time whenever they said, you know what, we want to provide prosperity and peace. And so what we would do is they would, they would make roads for safe for travel. They would uh, provide rights for Roman citizens. And most scholars, when I was in college studying, said this. Had it not been for the roads the Romans had paid, providing safe travel, the gospel most likely would never have been able to spread like it has. If you go and read Acts and read Paul's missionary journeys, like all of it he took advantage of as a Roman citizen being be able to go freely, plant churches, and get it going. And just, who, who is this? This is Nero who's doing this sort of stuff, allowing him these freedoms and stuff to do it. He's asking for this stuff. He's saying, listen, we know we're going to have difficult lives, but man, I pray that we have nothing that slow down the work of the gospel. And we need to pray that God would allow that to happen. Pray for their salvation. Pray to come. I think the point he's saying this. We need to be good witnesses. We need to be good neighbors and good citizens so, so that the church isn't inhibited by the world. That's what he says when he talks about leading a tranquil and quiet life. We live in such a way that we don't make fools of ourselves where they make our life miserable and so hard to live and prosper. The church is stymied. Don't miss this, the church will not die because of persecution But but you, you cannot deny us as American citizens or not have a freedom and ability to do stuff that much of the world would kill for, and we do not take advantage and enjoy the freedom we have in that. And he's saying, Man, be, be praying for that, and don't waste that opportunity. Not, not just that, I, I think he's also saying this when it comes to the people around us like the church, so that the church doesn't lose its witness to the world. He says, Do it in what? In all godliness and dignity. I read a quote, uh, do, you, do you know what the greatest witness for and against the church is? Cr- Christianity. <laughs> it's, it is. And how we live our faith either makes inroads or outroads where, where few other things can. Christians are either do a great job that said, man, I want them to be a part of life, or they cut us off and want nothing to do with it. And the most beautiful example I'm seeing right now, and we, we in just the past two months, have' had two different meetings where the Deer Creek superintendent has reached out to our church and other churches to sit down and say, "How can we work together?" I've, I've served at this church 10 years, five of them as a student minister, and found Deer Creek School almost impenetrable to get involved in. Extremely difficult. And now we have them sitting with us, and we're talking with them, and they're going to say, how can we serve you? And I mean, it's like, man, God is opening door. Well, why would we squash that? Why would we go and make a fool of ourselves and close that door? He's saying, man, live tranquil lives. Live in such a godliness that, man, God, God can use that for his salvation. What, what are we going to do with that? The last thing Paul tells us is not just the who, the what, but he tells us the why. And I think this should change our heart toward it. Look <clears> at <throat> verse 3. He says this is good. D- doing this is good. praying for everyone, praying for the kings and authorities, of people that you can't stay in life, pr- praying for the inroads, the hours, praying for tranquil life and that you don't lose your witness opportunity. This is good. Why is it good? And it pleases God, our Savior, who wants everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. We, we pray because this is God's desire, for, first and foremost for us. For us. It's God's desire. For, it says it's good and it's pleasing to God. Can I, can I just have a confession that I see in myself and I think I have seen a lot of other people too. When we pray, we tend to pray, see prayer is lining God up with my desires. God, man, it, if you would take care of this, if you would do this, my life would be much better. I, I, this is what I want. When in reality, prayer is lining ourselves up to God's desires. It doesn't mean we don't come and petition and say, God, I'm struggling right now. I really wish you could be taken away. But it's open with the open hand saying, God, I trust you. I I think you got this. And here's what I want, but I want what you want. Line me up. This is God's desire for us, but it's also God's desire for the lost. Because God says what? He, He wants everyone to be saved. Isn't that foreign to a world who thinks God hates them? God despises them? God God wants everyone to be saved. If you're a natural person, you you might be thinking right now, well, if it's God's desire, then why doesn't he just make it happen? Right? I mean, if I'm God, I can do anything. Why can't he make it happen? Is God not sovereign? Is God not sovereign? Can he not do whatever he wants? Does his will not follow through? Let me me say this. When it comes to God, you have to understand the difference of his will. There's what I would say is declared will and sovereign will. There's things that God declares. This is what I want and I wish would have. This is my desire for things to happen. But He allows freedom in it. There's God's sovereign will, where God's like, this is how it's going to happen. That might be foreign to you. Let me say it like this: I have kids. Everything comes back to kids, and I'm like, God, thanks for the joke and the lesson at the same time. You're you're teaching me about my insecurities and my weaknesses, right? My, My declared will for my kids is they wouldn't lie, they wouldn't fight, they wouldn't cheat, they wouldn't st- that they would, they would behave well. I, I can't really entirely come, I, I, I want that, that they're still going to act out of line, right? That, that's my declared will. I desire for them to do it because I think that's the best one. them. My, my sovereign will is different. A few years back, we had to, a couple years back, we, we had to move. That was a difficult thing for our kids, her mother and I made the decision, this is something we need to, do. there was no debate, there was no discussion, there was no, man, I hope, like, th- this happened. We, we're going to move, and we moved. Our will carried out. God acts and behaves in the same way where he declares what he wants and he tells us how he wants his people to behave. But at the same time, there are aspects of his will he says, this is going to happen. And so when God says, man, I want everyone to be saved, this is his desire but God being God restrains himself from moving free will people and still allows that to take place. I love you see those things. And I don't know if Paul meant to be, even in his own language, what he says. He says, for there is one God, one mediator between God and mankind, the, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all. And listen to this, a testimony at the proper time. That, that's God's sovereign will. God chose when Jesus was to come. It was a proper time. Like I had decided this is when it's going to happen, when I was going to move. But then keep reading, it says, for this, Paul's saying, I was appointed a herald, an apostle. That's God's desire's will. Paul could have said no. Paul could have opted not to do it, but he did it anyways because it was God's desired will. Are, are you seeing where I'm going with this? So when we pray, we've got to trust in God's sovereign will and be obedient to his declared will. And Paul's letting him know what God has done already. And Paul's, I think, even showing us who he's talking about. This audience "For this I was appointed a herald, an apostle." I'm telling you, I'm not lying. He says, "A teacher of the Gentiles in faith." You, you want to talk about the people that everyone Paul's thinking of—the Gentiles that seem to have trouble getting plugged into the church, and the Jewish people who are there saying, "Nah, you don't fit." He's trying to get them. So, so Paul's calling us to prayer. Now, I tee you up next time. <laughs> Some difficult text that may be challenging, but ultimately, I want to just give you a precursor. But Paul starts with prayer. His next part he goes to is practicing holy living. I want you to pray, but I also want you to live in such a way that draws attention to God, not you. And, and that's, that's where it's going. So let me just tee up, and Josiah, I can't wait for you to preach on that. It's going to be good. I'm joking. I am preaching. I'm not going to dump that on him. But, but ultimately, we come back to this. Listen, if we want to accomplish God's mission for the church... We want to establish a foundation where the gospel is is prevalent and what we stand for, fight for, celebrate, show, everything. It it, it starts with prayer, and we should be praying for everyone. North Point Salvation starts with prayer. And I'm just going to be bluntly honest with you. I have done a terrible job of this, praying, God, we need salvation to happen. I put it as like the cherry on top of an ice cream thing, like it's kind of decoration, but I'm not sure I really value it. But man, we need to pray like it matters. If we want to see people getting saved, lives being changed, we want to see kingdom work and stuff like that. we, We need to be praying with fervency like, God, I believe that this can change lives. You're going to do something with this. You're the one that's going to make it work. Please move and move me and do what you need. We have to pray like it matters. And so I debated and discussed in my mind and with Grant and said, man, I'm, I'm not sure how to end a practical sermon without practical application. And so we kind of discussed and said, you know what, why don't, why don't we pray? And so I'm going I'm to ask you to do this. this is what We're going we're, we're, we're to close with some time of prayer. And so I'm going to ask you here in a second just to, to privately, you, you, you may have stuff in your life that is distracting you. Hey, I get it. I'm, I'm with you. I'm going to give you a second just to pray. And give God whatever's going on in your life. We're going to have elders. I'm going to ask maybe if they're wives, if they're able to, be available too. We'll have Steve and Dee Ryan in the back, maybe Corey and Amber Whalen. If you need prayer and sometimes someone just to pray over you, we want to take this time. And after a few minutes, Grant's going to come lead us through a time of guided prayer, of praying for things where we start taking this seriously. If God's saying our first step is prayer, we're going to take it seriously and start praying for salvation. Some of you on the sound of my voice are come to realize that we're praying for you. Who, who needs to be saved is you. And I encourage you to come respond to that. But we're gonna take this seriously. So I'm gonna ask right now with your head bows and I uh, head bowed and eyes closed, if you would take a second, just pray. I'm gonna ask you to selfishly pray for yourself. Whatever you got going on right now in your life, just talk to God about it. We have JD and Amy up here. We have Corey and Amber back there. We have Steve and Dee in, the, in the back. Uh, I think Sarah Swieger I see back there in the back. If you, if you want to come and ask them just to pray for you because you need that, um, do that, please. The room's going to be silent, and you just spend some time with God just praying. And Grant will lead us here in a second.